Winning has a price. And leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't endure all the things that I endured. Michael Jordan is down in pain. Michael Jordan got taken out. He's hurt. And Jordan came down hard and is injured. Well, the Pistons have moved on, but you really got a feel for this man right here. I mean, playing his heart out. Once you join the team, you live at a certain standard that I played the game. And I wasn't going to take any less. Now, that means I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, then I did that. You asked all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. People see this, and they're gonna say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you, because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Off the floor, he was gonna be cordial. He was gonna be accepting. He was gonna be nice. But as a teammate, he had certain expectations. Was he a nice guy? He couldn't have been nice. With that kind of mentality he had, he can't be a nice guy. He would be difficult to be around if you didn't truly love the game of basketball. He is difficult. Like, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. We love some movie characters, and sometimes the best way to get into the characters we love most is to dig deep into their motives, their calling, their sense of self, talk about what they really want. This is movie typing, where we select, engage, and unveil the intentions and drive the greatest characters on film. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and personality typing expert. Hello. My man. Hey. We are here with the Sean Isaac Palmer. Yeah, this is exciting. How's it going? What's up, man? Oh, man, we're just living the, the quarantine life and Ooh, and kind of loving it. Like, I don't I don't hate it. Yeah. What is the thing that you have enjoyed most? Uh, my daughters are 13 and 16, and I legit have loved just hanging out with them at night, mm. playing games, listening to music, watching television shows, like just being snarky at reality TV because we don't have to get up early in the morning. And I feel like <laughs> my oldest is going to be a junior in high school next year. And uh, this is their last week of school, actually. And... Uh, that time is slipping away, and I feel like th these are like bonus minutes. That's great. Sean, you are a teaching coach, teaching pastor of the stellar community in Houston called uh, Ecclesia. Right. And you have a book 
on the Enneagram coming out this fall. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm with IVP with InterVarsity Press. They're doing a series of daily readers for each number on the Enneagram. And so uh, they invited me in to write 40 days of being a three. So it's just kind of like, what's it like for threes? So it's a book for people who are threes on the Enneagram, who identifies threes on the Enneagram, but also for the people who love them, or as I've told people, it's basically uh, 40 days of sitting with me in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Like what, what would it be like to sit with Sean in therapy for 40 days? And (laughs) the, um, the, it's so funny, like just in the process, a lot of feedback I got was like, um, you already talked about success and failure in this other entry. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm a three. Yeah. <laughs> it's the world you live in. Of course. Like yeah. we are, we are never exhausting that subject matter for threes. So um, <laughs> I could do forty days of success and failure, and threes would be like, yeah, I feel this every day. Like people don't mm-hmm. get it, right? It's not that right. threes are worried about success and failure. In general, like it is minute to minute, like interaction to interaction. Like, did I drive here as fast as I could? Like, did I, did I make, did I get here the most efficient way possible? Did I do this in the meeting? Right. Like it's, it's not a big life goal, you know, um, it's, it's everything. It's everything. Well, I am married to a three and I, I know that it's common knowledge that the best looking and most intelligent number on the Enneagram is the three. Well, and, and if they're not, you need to tell them that because they will ask you all the time. Like if you're in, if you're in close relationship, my, my wife finally got tired of me asking, like, does this look okay? Does this look okay? Does this look okay? That she just bought me a, she bought me a mat that's in our bathroom in front of my sink. And the mat just says, you look awesome. <laughs> Perfect. What is the thing you want complimented most in your whole life? You're obviously a public speaker. You're a teacher. You, 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 you do you. What, what is the thing you really want people to see that you excel at? It, it depends in arena to arena, but whatever it is that I am, it's really more, and I talk about this in the book too, it's really more fear of failure than a drive for success. And then ah. it's to keep that level of success. Cause like what I've experienced, um, more recently in the last few years is the things that I was successful about. Like the fear is that I won't be successful or I've given back some leverage or some gains that I've made. And that is failure. So the failure success thing Mm. for threes, you can tell them until you're blue in the face, Hey, you are love for who you are, not what you do. And we reflexively do not believe that it does not matter how often you say it like that has to be formed in us. Um, over time, because the the words are meaningless. Because oftentimes threes use words meaninglessly. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, what do I need? What do I need to say to make this encounter successful so I can move on to the other thing? So um, we don't trust words because we know that we are untrustworthy with words. To get us started off, and, to, and TJ, who is not a sports ball guy, okay, uh, you have to answer this as well, though. Okay, I'm in. Who's your favorite? sports star growing up was there somebody you had the poster on the wall this was your hero uh john elway's a person right <laughs> that's a guy <laughs> they're going to run you out of colorado <laughs> oh i know <laughs> i know oh for sure yeah no i actually i do have a lot of respect for elway I, I i grew up watching him play and better broncos quarterback come on john elway or tim tebow 
Oh, Tim, is Tim Tebow a quarterback? <laughs> Tim Tebow is a fantastic athlete who somehow gets the ball in his hand every time. I think that that was the official position he played. <laughs> Loved that season for the joy that it was and was so glad to move on as a Bronco fan myself. Oh. To, Peyton Manning was a slight upgrade. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You got a favorite uh, sports star? So when I was a kid, I was a I was a big baseball guy, and I grew up in Atlanta. So my hero when I was a kid was Dale Murphy. He played right field for the Atlanta Braves. Come um, on. Just extremely solid guy. Like, it broke my heart. A couple of years ago when his last year of eligibility for the Hall of Fame yeah. um, went by, and he didn't make the Hall of Fame because there's no one in the Hall of Fame um, if you if you hit 500 home runs, you're automatically in the Hall of Fame, basically. And I think Dale Murphy had 480 or 490 something, but he was multiple Golden Gloves, oh. multiple National League MVP. He was just on some really bad <laughs> Braves teams. But man, I, if you would have pulled me aside when I was in second, third grade, and said like, "Who do you want to be when you grow up?" It's 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 Dale Murphy. My favorite baseball story is about a Atlanta Brave, and it's it's of Hank Aaron's um, breaking Ruth's record. Mm. He's a black man in the in the heart of the South when mm. this is happening, and he's just like two or three home runs short at the end of whatever it was, the 72-73 season, and he has this entire off season to get hate mail. Yeah. Um, prior to getting back up in front of thousands of people, all of which may have firearms and <laughs> the bravery of standing there and pushing forward, ah, just glorious. My dad was living in Atlanta at that point in time of all things and was he had tickets to the game after he broke the record. <laughs> <laughs> So our deep dives into pop culture are going to go a different direction today. Uh, some of you may not be into sports ball who are listening, um, or Star Wars or the Avengers for that matter, but here's the deal. Our lives are about moments and the drama and joy birthed out of our relationships. And what sports often does for many of us is it puts deeply flawed human beings on the same stage as emotionally sound human beings, and then the whistle blows, and you get to see human conflict as well as triumphs before you. And there's something beautiful about sport on this front. And we see the character and fire and indolence and anger and shame borne out in vibrant colors because sports is a window for many of us into the human soul. Recently, during this time of quarantine, we have lost sports and many of us realize how much sports has been part of our lives and has grounded us and has actually connected us to people who are very different from us, who might have different religions or political persuasions, or it might be our parents. And one of the joys that I've experienced here the last few weeks has been a 10-part documentary on the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance, and many of you will be familiar with this. Um, there is so much taking place in this documentary showcasing a team in the 90s who were on the top of the world fame-wise and the interactions and relationships between players, coaches, management, their personal lives, and how all of that is propelled and engaged through their motivations that's the sweet spot of the Enneagram, the motives of these people and how that plays out on a national stage. And of course, again, it's on a national stage through this documentary. So, Sean, what you, where does your mind go when you think about um, sport in the Enneagram? You know, watching The Last Dance, which I absolutely loved. I think it saved, you know, quarantine for, for a lot of us. You know, when folks, there's something about sports 
that the people who participate in them on a high level, where it is both their work and their life. And there are a lot of us who have the ability to go to work and we can almost be different people at work. And then by the time we sit in traffic and make our way home, like a switch is turned and we're a different person. A lot, I think a lot of people have seen that in quarantine. Like they didn't know that their wife was a, hey, let's circle back up kind of person until they heard them on a conference call. Um, <laughs> but sports, because like the, the team travels together, it's got emotional drama. I mean, like when guys and when men and women are in the middle of sport and your heart rate is up and you're sweaty and you've worked your whole life mm. on and off the court, on and off the field for this, like everything of who you are has to be brought into that moment. It's not, you don't have the ability to leave pieces of you on the sideline. And what we find out in sports are good guys, good women tend to be good guys and good women on the court and off. Mm. Bad guys tend to be bad guys on the court and off. Um, and so when you get to see a documentary like that and you see a fuller picture of who these people were, you can't 100% know their motivations. And I agree with you, Jeff. Like That's the gold of the Enneagram is motivations. But when they tell you what their motivations are, then you get to see it a little bit more. And so I find the whole thing fascinating because why are they doing like why are some people because I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan right and David Robinson was criticized for years for years for years about not being able to win a championship until Tim Duncan came along and David Robinson's the kind of person right who I think most people would look at and say he could live the exact same life that he's living now with or without a championship yeah there are some people you look at and you say that girl that guy they can't live without a championship like there's something mm. um, that's part of their soul that won't let that happen. And so we got a little bit of a glimpse of that into The Last Dance, which which is fabulous. Teach, you got anything to say on sports in, in the Ingram well, as love, a non-sports guy? Yeah, I, so uh, this is, if, if it's not clear already from the history of us talking, it will be clear after this conversation. I don't follow sports and I don't know very much about sports. Uh, I grew up in a household that watched basketball and baseball and, and football games, so I know enough to like follow a game. And um, but uh, it's it's not something that I've been drawn to. But I am really fascinated by that idea that that it's harder to separate the person from the court from the person off the court in sports. Like like it is easier to see that separation in a lot of other fields. It's harder to see that separation in the sports area. So like it is a lot more fascinating to see that motivation be part of the drive. Like that idea of like the, the person who would never need to have a championship is probably not a three. And you can tell that because of the way that they do their job, but that does not mean that they're not excellent at their job. That just means that they're motivated by different things. So I, I like this idea of examining this in a way that's a little bit more, almost transparent and i think we'll mm -hmm. see that a lot in in following the sports arena pun unintended um and i also definitely want to make sure that like like we put in this caveat when we talk about other characters and i just want to double down on it right now we are going to be typing real live people that we have never met <laughs> <laughs> And if you're going to do what we are going to do and hold it loosely, we could right. absolutely be wrong right. about what we're talking about. We're just trying to discuss the motivation as we see it and assign a value to that. 
TJ is exactly right as far. And um, I think every Enneagram teacher I know uh, who speaks or writes says this. I say this when I talk about the Enneagram and things that I've written that um, you're 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 likely wrong (laughs) when you when you type people Um, for. And I live this in my house like my my wife is a one identifies as a one on the Enneagram. And I would never call her a one until listening to her explain to me why she thought she was a one Mm. Um, because, and I think you'll see this as we talk about the last dance, the very same behaviors can be motivated by very different things. Yep. And it's the motivation that matters, not the behavior. Because this is one of the things that I would say about professional athletes. TJ, something you said made me think about just about everyone who makes it to the pros in any sport is competitive, like ridiculously competitive, right? Mm -hmm. So not all of them, like some of them were like, hey, man, I'm going to play for three years. I'm going to cash a check. We've got some former um, athletes that worship alongside us, and they are competitive on the field, but they are not competitive people generally, right? Mm. Um, But some of them are. They can't wait to hit the golf course. They they have to compete at something. Um, And so when, when you see this behavior, um, it's always wise to give yourself some caution and go, yeah, you know, I could be wrong. Mm. Motive, yeah. not behavior right. on this. The, uh, we, we say this in our other podcasts where we type people, but we think the ironclad rule for typing other people is don't. Yeah. But we leave two small windows for the sake of this podcast, which is we type fictional characters because we want to nerd out on Star Wars and talk about the inner <laughs> motivations of characters whose inner motivations matter to the story. And folks who are public figures because they are battling in the arena and they are struggling and wrestling and growing and losing and sidestepping and winning in front of all the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me it's not a bad thing to say that person at the highest places of success and perhaps uh, virtue in our culture, I want to know if they're like me and what their steps are to get from here to there. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's at least how I'm wrestling with typing typing these folks that we're going to type today. Right. Let's jump into this, eh? All right. The Last Dance was divided up into 10 episodes. What we're going to do is just is, is pull out a handful of quotes from uh, the episodes and just talk about the motives and talk about the obstacles they're confronting these men who are seeking to achieve really defined goals in their field. Um, so the background of The Last Dance is uh, the Chicago Bulls, uh, the very last season that Michael Jordan was with the Chicago Bulls, they had a documentary crew that followed him. And the drama is set up in the fact that the Bulls are on one of the most successful runs of championships since the Celtics in the 60s. And the story begins with the announcement by general manager Jerry Krause that their coach, longstanding coach Phil Jackson, will not be renewed at the end of the season. From a contract standpoint, wanted to be compensated like the other coaches that he had beaten. And Jerry wasn't going to do that. In Jerry's mind, you moved pieces in and out. You didn't move Michael Jordan pieces. Phil Jackson, yeah, you can move him in and out. And he was wrong about that. Jordan, Michael Jordan, you may have heard of him, uh, makes it known that he is not going to be playing for another coach. And the documentary tells the story of Jordan through the lens of this final season with the Bulls. And what makes this documentary special is not only the fact that there is 
no sports on right now. But <laughs> Michael Jordan has a power of personality that few public figures have to where we care about what he has to say today about that time. And one of my favorite quotes in this, and I would love your guys' thoughts on this. One of my favorite quotes in this whole documentary was from Michael Wilbon, who said, I mean, at that point, Michael Jordan's already the ultimate sports alpha male. I mean, the only comparisons that I can recall being apt were to Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali. That's it. That's, that's the list. There's nobody else on it. And that's how the documentary begins. It's with this kind of public figure, this, like, titan of sports and pop culture. And what are we going to say about that? What are your initial thoughts about that person for us what can we learn about that person's motives, about their successes, about their failures through the Enneagram? Um, what can we know about the alpha, the alpha male? It, what, what I go to, what I return to, is that practice of the dream team. So TJ and for others who didn't watch the documentary, there is a practice of the original dream team, which I consider to be the only dream team. Um, <laughs> Before the Barcelona Olympics in 92. And this practice has been talked about. It's legend because you've got the 14 best basketball players at that time on the planet in a private session going, playing a game against each other. Their videotaping is just like a free for all practice. And this becomes legendary because they are just going at it. Jordan's team is behind. Magic Johnson starts to trash talk. Jordan comes back, just takes over the game and wins. Everybody is silent on the bus after until Magic makes a crack. And all the guys on the team goes, that was the greatest practice ever. After that game, everyone kind of acknowledged we're in a new era. Michael Jordan was the alpha alpha. But they were, they were all alpha dogs, right, on different teams. Like, you got incredibly powerful personalities. Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Magic Johnson. I mean, these are, these are guys who command any room that they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, oh, that guy over there, um, not because of his personality, but because of his game and what he did in that practice, like, he is, he is the new son that we all revolve around. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, and I know Jeff and I probably disagree about this. To me, that is just so much eight energy, Mm -hmm. Enneagram eight energy around that, that I'm almost, I mean, I could be talked out of it uh, and he could talk me out of it personally. And if Michael Jordan wants to come over and have a conversation about it or Enneagram coaching (laughs) session, I'm open. But there's something about to say, oh, like that is... Like that is the eight energy, the same eight energy I get from the eights that are around me. And I work very closely with two really strong personality eights. Um, yeah. So let's, let's do this on exactly that front. This is a good place. We need to jump in and type Michael Jordan. Okay. Cause that's why you, that's why you're listening to this <laughs> that's, podcast. That's what this is about anyway. Right. And talking about the documentary as a whole, if I yeah. was going to just sum up this documentary as a whole, it is about winning. It is about competition and I am better than that guy over there. Um, 
There's one quote that really stuck out to me from Jordan. Do you think you have a gambling problem at all? No, because I can stop gambling. I have a competition problem. Mm-hmm. And the elevation, especially at that practice, which I think is a great lens into his character in terms of the, in the documentary itself, is who is the best in the world mm-hmm. at what they do? Uh, one of the commentaries mm-hmm. in the first episode, he says, you could argue Michael Jordan was as good at his job as anyone has ever been at their job ever. Right. I thought that was, that was stellar. So I got one quote for you. And this was a quote that I thought went, it was, it was the high point of the documentary for me. And it's a quote that goes for me both three and eight. And it's at the end of the seventh episode. And it's the one where he cracks at the end. Mm-hmm. And apparently this, did you hear this? Apparently this is 45 minutes into their very first interview. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And, and it's the only time he cries in the whole, the whole thing. I mean, he's, yeah. he's talking about his dad's death. And he doesn't mm-hmm. cry, but, mm-hmm. but he cries at this moment. So this is the quote. Winning has a price, and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't endure all the things that I endured. Once you join the team, you live at a certain standard that I played the game, and I wasn't going to take any less. Now, that means I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, and I did that. You asked all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't do. When people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you, because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. And then he cracks and he says, If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. And then he said, Break, and he steps up and leaves. What do you, TJ, since you're fresh. Yeah, yeah. What do you you hear in that quote? Well, there's, uh, I'm, in all of this, I'm really drawn to the, the juxtaposition of him talking about he wants to win, but he spends so much time talking about the group, like, like so much of, of the interviews and so much of, of his actual language is that, that he wants the team to win. Uh, he spends a lot of time talking about everyone else, not just himself. Um, I think everyone who talks about him talks a lot about how he wants to win, like how he wants to be the best. I remember one of the first things said about him is that <clears throat> I think it was, they were talking about him in college. Michael Jordan tells me one day he wants to be the best player to ever played here. And I said, well, you got to work harder than you did in high school. He said, I worked as hard as everybody else. I said, oh, excuse me. I thought you just told me you want to be the best player to ever play here. And, and so, like, talking, uh, the people talking about him display that he wants to be the best in the world. When he talks about himself, he's talking about he wants the, everyone that he's a part of to win. And there's, there's a level of leadership there that I think, like, I see that, like, that drivenness, the, the 
wanting to be the the best, wanting to succeed, wanting like that that drivenness of three in that. But I think that leadership of like we are going to do this together moves him either into like an extremely unhealthy six or <laughs> or like I see more eight coming out in that kind of leadership mm. because he's he's not talking about himself when he talks about winning. He talks about the team when he's talking about winning. So. Mm. Sean, what what don't you see in Jordan on film here as a three? Like, what is what is something that like ah, I don't know that a three goes down that way. That's yeah. not how I process the world. Yeah. So the fundamental difference why I would um, if I had twenty dollars to bet bet on eight and rather than three is that uh, and I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> most threes I know would never go about handling their teammates the way that Jordan handles his yep. teammates. So it's that it's eight energy that says, this is what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that. And that's the reason they do it. They really believe that it's the best for, not just for them, but for you. And of all the talk about winning, he never talks about winning people, winning people to remember threes want to lead, but they want you to want to follow them. And nobody wanted to follow Michael. They had to follow Michael, mm. right? And so even you know, some more recent um, interviews, like with Rodman, and everything, you know, Rodman will say things like, I don't even know if Pippen talks to him. Like 22 years later, he is not close to these guys. And for a three would feel that so deeply, we wouldn't be able to name it, but that would cut us so deeply because the thing that we were trying, because remember what, pe- what threes are trying to win is other people. We think we win it through accomplishment, but we're trying to win other people. Yeah. Um, and so a three would just never go about his business that way, but an eight totally would. Um, and that's what I don't see. I don't see the, um, let me try, if I'm, if I'm on a, t- like a three would, here's some things a three would do that I'm going to be better than you on the court so that you have something to aspire to, and I'm going to keep getting better um, for myself and for you, and I'm going to invite you to come along, and if you don't, I'm going to be done with you. Now, that's something threes and eights do have in common. Like, when we're done with you, we're yeah. done with you. <laughs> but, yeah, a, a three would never, well, not never, because I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> but a three, would, a three would never punch his teammate, right? A three is calculating at every point, like, is there something here to win that is worth winning for X, Y, and Z? Like, for uh, for a three, that that practice game would have been very important. But, like, the so many of his battles are interior. Like, I'm going to go out here during the Olympics, and I'm going to show up Coney Koo coach. Um, I'm going to show up this other person. And he's the only one who knows that that's what he's doing and why he's doing it. Like, a three would do it. Only if you were going to know, like you were going to know, like I took this kid out to the woodshed and mm-hmm. beat him so badly. So remember that I'm the greatest, but those in those purely internal motivations, I'm going to make something up <laughs> to yeah. motivate myself to beat you. Um, it's only a win for a three. If other people know that it's a win. And if you don't ever communicate that to people, then it's not really a win. I haven't heard or I hadn't put this together, but I think this this is a fantastic point you're making. Is it the case with all threes that success is secondary 
What really is taking place is I am succeeding because I think it will get me the love and, and uh, connection to other people that I crave. Right. Is it always other people? Um, always is a big word. For me, that is largely true. So whether it's a social three or self-press three, it's, there are, it's a people motivation at the end of the day that we don't know. We haven't developed the tools to navigate any other way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think when, if I were like magic Johnson would be much more mm-hmm. of a three. Plus I'd like to add this about Jordan and, and the three motivation. What else has he accomplished since basketball? Ooh, yeah. And even specifically thinking about like the stuff that he did not accomplish outside of basketball right? that everyone knows about. Like a three would not have gone into the other fields that Michael Jordan went into unless they knew they could succeed there. Right. High likelihood. Yeah. And so a three can't turn it off like that kind of succeed, 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 succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... One of the things about eights that rarely gets talked about is I think I think Riso and Hudson talk about this is the the eight characteristic of a test of wills, mm-hmm. mm. and what what is often a test of wills inside an eight gets communicated or is received by people as competition. And I think when I see Jordan, what I see him doing on the basketball court is testing wills. My will will dominate your will. Yeah, we talk about it as as pushing boundaries, like like testing the boundaries to see who has the power. And so even the documentary itself, right? So it's his production company. He owned the video footage from the last season. Yeah. And why 22 years later? There's no, it's not a big year, 20 or 25 or 30. Why 22 years later? (laughs) Have you heard the story? The LeBron talk. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's talking about who's the greatest. Is it Jordan or LeBron? And so... He can't go back on the court. Yeah. So what does he do? That's a test of wills. That's not, that's not purely competition because you can't win that. And Kobe was great about this. Kobe says you can't, no one can win that conversation. With Jordan or, or just the conversation? The conver- who's the best? Kobe, Jordan, LeBron. Says, you can't go play. You, you can never win that conversation. Yeah. So um, why, why bother having it, right? Ah, I like that. Okay. So I'm on I'm on on the outside here. Let me give two arguments. Okay. For for Jordan as a three, because I still think Jordan which, is a three. Which totally, I mean, Go he ahead. could be a four, and we're all just well. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is entirely right. Some of the things that he says seem to me to come out of the motive of a three, and the threeness that I hear in Jordan's language has to do with the avoidance of failure and image. I think those run throughout the documentary. Um, the avoidance of failure is, I think, why he wants to succeed. The pushing other, it's, I'm going to do this myself until he realizes he can't. And when he can't do, when he can't achieve at the level he wants to achieve, then it begins to spill out in unhealthy ways and healthy ways, I suppose, to elevate the rest of his team to excellence. And I think that's what he really targets. As I think what he cares about most is excellence. There's an interview with him in the first episode where he's coming right out of college and he's like, I just want the the franchise and Chicago Bulls to be respected as a team. 
like the Lakers or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics. And the image of I want the thing that I'm a part of to be excellent is all over his personality from Nike to, you know, to, to the Bulls here and to the symbol of excellence for him is these trophies. Hmm. And he's a trophy winner. I'm going to slam dunks, MVPs, you know, NCAA championships, and of course the, the championships at the NBA level. Before I go on to image, hmm. is that a misplay on my part in terms of thinking? I think that it's not so much that he wants to be successful. I think that he's deeply, he has a, a fear or even a, a, a failure or a deep drive not to a, appear like a failure before other people. Well, I think it's a, it's a fair argument. Um, but I also think that, that I think that that can equally be framed as a desire to avoid the appearance of vulnerability. Mm. That's <laughs> like, this is, this is one of the tricks about threes and eights is that failure and weakness can be very, very similar on the outside. Mm-hmm. And, and, threes and eights are both avoiding that they're both avoiding letting that thing out at all costs and so you you could paint it with either brush i think yeah oh I do man that's think good that, that's a good do you have a thought on that sean no i just like that 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 actually helps me connect some other things because i've been thinking a whole lot about his his father i think if jordan's a three and he retires with a three-peat before the second three-peat, and his father's mm-hmm. dead, he doesn't mm-hmm. come back. Mm-hmm. Because four threes, parental expectations are so big, whether they're spoken Ooh. or not. Okay. And um, he was so close to his father, and the only other people that he appears close to are other older men, his father's age, kind of later in life. His like, he's got that yep. security team. You didn't see it, TJ. It's so funny. He's got this security team that looks like the geriatric ward just released. <laughs> and I'm like, who are they, who are they securing him against? Like, um, may, I guess they're just strapped to the hilt. Um, but, and he, he takes care, but like his, when he goes off in New York uh, during the playoffs, when he goes off to Atlantic city, who does he go with? Not teammates, his father. His father comes across in the, in the documentary as his best friend because eights are not going to let very many people in. Mm. And I see yeah. a typical three would want the whole team with them for those excursions and to be the center of attention, like in, an un, in a, in an a, low average to unhealthy space. Um, and he, yeah, he never seemed to care very much about other people except those older people. Cause I felt, it seemed like there was something in that generation likely linked to his father that he felt like he could trust. And so that speaks to the, the not wanting to be vulnerable. I think that's an excellent argument. The, the desire for loyalty that comes throughout makes a lot of sense to me. That would actually push. So my theory would be something like this in the practices. They emphasize this documentary emphasizes the practices quite a bit in terms of Jordan pushing others. My theory was something to the extent of he wants to avoid failure on the public stage. So he's going to drive these guys as hard as he can off screen to, to rise to that level so that collectively they can experience the success but there is something about eights where I'm going to put forth the, the stickiest exterior. I'm going to 
intentionally assault people around me to see if they're actually loyal and whether or not they'll betray me or not. Mm -hmm. If they are loyal when I'm at my worst, then when there's shots fired, they're going to be beside me and have my back. Yeah. So why is why is he mad when Horace Grant after he retires after Jordan retires when Horace Grant goes to Orlando? That's that's disloyal. Ooh, yeah. You know, and not only, because Horace went to Orlando, he's also labeled with the guy who talked to Sam Smith and gave him all this other inside stuff because that's what disloyal people do. Yeah. It's it's really quite interesting to me. And another argument that I would say places him more in eight space is there's nothing about accomplishment. And success involved in controlling how many tickets your teammates got for family members, right? <laughs> do you do you remember this yeah, scene? Yeah, go there. Sure. Yeah. Like uh, a three says, "Why do I give a crap about that? I don't have time or energy for that." Yeah. But <laughs> but if you're a, if you're an eight, that level of control, I was like, I will even tell you how many tickets you can have for your family member, and you. You're on this team just like I am. Um, you see him yeah. sitting in the locker room. He's sitting in this little ante room in the locker room, surrounded by these 60-year-old guys. Yeah. Michael is not one of the fellas, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, and he doesn't want to be. So th- those kinds of glimpses where I go like, oh, and that's, again, it's behavior, not motiv- motivation. Um, makes me say, wow, like that, that I receive that as a lot of, a lot of eight energy because I think as a three, I, I wouldn't do that. I, I would want to win, but we go about it. And so my, our lead pastor here at Ecclesia is an eight and we want so many of the same things. We go about them very differently. And yeah, and he's a, he's a healthy eight, which is helpful, but we just operate fundamentally differently. Like I want you to come with me, right? He will tell you what to do. Right. So I had a church leader in, California, right? This was so great. Like he really wanted me to get into hockey and I did not want to. He was a lay leader and he invited us over to, to his house, a great big house. He made a lot of money in tech and he had this game on this hockey game. He wanted to explain it to me. And he literally told us where to sit in the living room. Sean, sit right there because that was the seat that had the best view for the television. Um, and I'm a three as an aggressive number myself. I'm thinking I will pick my own damn place where to sit. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but that's like, that's the difference, right? To At least that's the difference. The way I see eight energy versus three energy is like an, an eight will, an eight will force you to do what you don't want to do because they think it's in your best interest. They really deeply believe that. Mm. And a three will convince you to do right. The thing that they think is best. And we'll, and at the end of the day, if you don't want to do it, we'll both just do it without you. Right. <laughs> my my other argument was for, you. By the way, you sold me on this, so I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll do my quick my, my quick. It's like that's pretty good. Um, his focus on settling for image, I think, is something that routinely came up, especially in the middle, where it wasn't. It, he's sh- shooting for excellence, but the the desire to elevate his image was a routine temptation. I, I saw him as attaching to Nike to, to gain the image that he desired, mm-hmm. walking in to get a gold medal and refusing to show the Reeboks logo on your jacket seemed to me to be an image thing. Right. I suppose there's a great eight answer to that as well. But those were the, that was uh, two things for me. 
So that, I think that would go back to the loyalty piece. Like yep. Converse didn't want him, you know, or they were going to like, we can't put you on the same level as Magic and, and all that, which made actually total sense as a business as a business move now that he's made a billion dollars with nike it seems stupid but at the time it made sense he was a rookie and like i like he's not gonna do that to nike because of what they've done for him and yeah and that's so much more eight than three because it's not it wasn't about the image it was about being told what you had to do yeah right the that, that being controlled piece and this loyalty to these people who had invested so deeply in him so early. So I, it wasn't about, I don't want to be seen in Nike because people say that about the jumpsuit at the, the um, gold medal ceremony, but he had to wear a re I mean, he had to wear a Reebok uniform in every game, right? (laughs) You know, he didn't do that every game. He was like, Mm. "Mm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give these people the put. I'm not going to give them a commercial with me in it. Like, that's for Nike. That's not for Reebok. Boom. I'm sold. Done. So we're going to mark Jordan as an eight. This is going <laughs> to matter in terms of how he then leads in the spaces that he leads from. I love the image that he doesn't, I didn't catch this, but that he doesn't have close relationships with his former teammates. I got the sense that he doesn't have close relationships with his kids either in a Apparently he's not married anymore, is he? He's remarried. So he remarried, remarried a couple of years okay. ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think actually have... he's I think he's got pretty good relationships with his kids. Um okay. so for I, there's not much out there to glean. So um usually when there's not much bad, that means that there's something pretty good <laughs> when a public figure's kids. Sure. They weren't much part of the documentary, which is which is fine, because I don't think that's necessarily the story they were telling. Or it yeah. could just be that he's an eight and he's not going to allow his children to be part of the public eye. <laughs> right, right. And yeah. so, so he's, yeah. got, he's got basically two families, though, right? So from his first marriage, all those kids are grown. And then he's got some younger kids from his second marriage. So, mm. But isn't that, isn't that protective? And you never got the sense, like even when his son was playing college basketball, um, you never got the sense that he was being driven into basketball. I don't know what it's like to be Michael Jordan's son, you know, I can't think, I thought a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, actually, the worst thing in the world right now is to be walking around and your name's be, your name being LeBron James Jr. Right? <laughs> 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 like, um, yeah, I don't, his son played well, basketball, but didn't make it to the league. And you never, you never got the sense out there in the ether that that was a disappointment or, uh, I guess it's really hard to be the child of the fabulously successful. Yep. And I, I think if we really wanted to think about a, a like what that looks like as a three, like look at Will Smith's kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're also famous right now. Right. And they have been since they were little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The three is going to elevate uh, their kids to show them off and say, look at how great I am as a parent as well. And, and work to make them s- s- successful as yeah. well. So threes are natural cheerleaders. Right. So it's not just I want to show you how great my kids turned out. Like if you're close to us and we believe in you, threes will do whatever, especially for their kids, whatever it takes to help you to achieve without having to work as hard as we had to work to achieve it. Um, And so that that's part um, because I think almost everybody that I've heard teach threes teaches it poorly. Um, That's one (laughs) of the things I wish they talked about more. Like if, if you have a three that's close to you. 
you have one of the best cheerleaders um, that anyone could have. Like, and, and when they say that you can do something, like I believe that you can do something, like they really believe it. Um, and see, Jordan never said that. And what's key to me about <laughs> this goes back to my why Jordan is an eight because what he said about Scottie Pippen. The thing about Pip is, you know, if you stand next to him, you make him stronger. You've got that eight-two line, right? Like that um, when Kobe had questions, Jordan mm -hmm. says, "Hey, pick up the phone and call me." Only because Kobe was a generation later, and he knew that the he didn't say that about Clyde Drexler, right? But like that occupying. <laughs> Occupying that two space of like, I can be helpful to, to yep. this kid. And um, Jordan has no great relationships with his peers in basketball. It seemed that he had much better relationships with the generation after him. It seemed like he was real warm with Magic Johnson. But that may be entirely coming from Magic. That Magic either strikes me as a two or three kind of personality mm -hmm. that he does want that affection from the per I'm going to win this person over to me relationally. Right. I would I would guess that Magic is a 3, but he's a generation above. So, um Oh, okay, sure. So, he's yep. e even in that practice, what does Jordan say when Magic's talking crap to him? He says, "This is Jordan says this is the 90s." And Magic says, "Well, what does that mean?" What it means is like you're from the 80s. Like yeah. the <laughs> 80s were your time. Uh -huh. And so, Magic, I would definitely say is a three because look what he's done after basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's accomplishment, 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 accomplishment. And Jordan says that he thinks that Magic is the greatest point guard that's ever played basketball. And so they do have a much warmer, I think, relationship. And Magic does want to win people. So, mm -hmm. you know, when Magic left the Lakers last year, I was talking to a good friend of mine here who's a Lakers fan, and I said, there's a difference, because he was the general manager, having to make really hard decisions, work 60, 90 hours a week. And I told him, um, everybody loves magic. Nobody likes Irvin Johnson. It's a, lot easier to, it's a lot easier to live in L.A. being magic than the guy yeah. who is in the front office, and you're just Mr. Johnson. Like, why would you want to be that guy when you could just walk around town being magic? You know. Yeah. We have that problem in town with Mr. Elway. Uh, <laughs> same story. I would guess that Elway's a three, but now that you say that, I might I might go I might I might have to think on that one. He's got that same competitive drive Jordan does in all of his interviews. Um okay. Last, last word on, on this, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts. We're going to start talking about the health and unhealth of people, uh, or at least uh, <laughs> character traits or, or actions. Sports is different than a lot of life. Sport is a zero-sum game in some ways. Like, there's only one champion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And apparently that's what the goal is. Mm -hmm. If you have a championship, there will only be a single champion. But life isn't like that. Right. And a lot of leaders today may look at somebody like Jordan after watching this documentary series and saying, that's how you do it. That's how you succeed in, you know, in my field. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me this is worth like pausing on. Is it the case that we can critique choices made for I'm going, going, going because the goal is championship at cost to relationships, at cost to myself, because right. that's the goal um, how, how would you wrestle with, with, with that element of healthy yeah. decisions as an athlete and the lessons that we're learning? 
Yeah. So, so I want to just go back to your quote um, that was 45 minutes in about Jordan saying like, that's what, that's what it took to win. Like that was mm-hmm. kind of basically saying that was the cost of winning. And I want to say, no, that's the cost you chose to pay to win because lots of champions decide that it's not worth the cost. Mm-hmm. Right. And like I said before, like they're all those, all those folks are super competitive just super. I, I I read a lot about NASA and their history. Every astronaut in the first three rounds, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, were super competitive guys. They were racing cars, like they, but they were also PhDs, half of them, right? But you choose that, and I would say that if you're having to choose unhealth, whatever goal you're trying to reach will not be achieved healthily. Like if you have to operate from a place of unhealth, then whatever you're after is. Is something you shouldn't be after. And you have to ask, um, if you're having to chase it, maybe it's running away from you. The um, thing that I think our culture will eventually discover, I think this is a big move in terms of ethics, in terms of how we conceive of morality, that we're presently experiencing is we're rediscovering virtue. We've had so much of our, our lives chips invested on... Um, it's not just accomplishments, but it's on language of right and wrong and following certain rules. Mm-hmm. If you follow the rules, you're a good person. Um, the good person is healthy in these ways, and they have to do with human excellence. And the virtues, uh, the opposites of the sins, um, the end up um, showing this is why a human being thriving looks like. And if you sacrifice that, you sacrifice your mm-hmm. happiness, your mm-hmm. joy, your very self right. stuff. We're going to jump into the remainder of The Last Dance and, and go through the, the episodes and the quotes and what we see coming out of some of these characters. Um, so um, any last words on, on Jordan, on thoughts on sports and the Enneagrams before we wrap up? Can I, can, can, can I, I want to say like as a, as a three in the competition piece, and this does not reflect well on me, as Jordan said, the documentary wouldn't reflect well on him. I'll, I'll just own this. Like I'm 20% concerned that the group wins. I am 80% concerned that I win. Mm. Mm. I won't sacrifice the group in order to win. I, I won't hurt the group in order to win. But if the group is losing... <laughs> Like, that's why Allen Iverson is more of a three than Jordan. Like, hey, how am I supposed to help? These teammates suck. (laughs) So I'm just going to go do my thing. Yeah. The group winning is actually about you winning. Right. I I only want the group to win if it means I win. (laughs) That's good. Um, Well, we're going to pick this up next time. Uh, Real quick, it would mean the world to us if you would give us um, some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find us at aroundthecircle.org if you're looking for us on the web and at Around the Circle Podcast on Instagram. Um, But the best thing you can do is share this episode uh, with somebody that you love. He is TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. This has been Sean Isaac Palmer. Do you like the Isaac? I've been throwing that in. But I don't know if you actually go by that. Um, I do sometimes. I don't sometimes. You can find me online just at Sean Palmer. There's another guy on Broadway named Sean Palmer. And so people get us confused all the time. But I was never in The Little Mermaid. So. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are and you'll set the world on fire. <laughs>